Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burns them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every war is boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in the blood will be destined <coughs> for burning, will be full for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding in with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish his. Okay, thank you, uh, Olga, for reading the text so well for us. And greetings to everyone that's here, uh, virtually and in person. Um, in the month of December, um, I'm trying to share messages on various uh, Christmas themes. Uh, last Sunday, we uh, talked about or thought about uh, Mary's Magnificat, uh, which spoke volumes about humility. She talked about her own humble state as well as those who are similar, similarly situated uh, one day to experience in subversion to the powers that be a similar lifting up by grace. Uh, in particular, the humility of uh, G Christ Jesus in entering our uh, space-time would prove uh, to be the substantiation of God's eternal promises. Okay, I gotta breathe now. <laughs> That's kind of a recap of last week, believe it or not. Um, today, I'd like us to look at a, another pretty famous uh, uh, passage, this one from Isaiah, parts of which are uh, frequently quoted uh, during Christmas time, right? Verse six often rings in my head to the um, uh, tune of Handel's Messiah, right? Um, you know, unto us a child is born, unto us uh, a son is given, right? Uh, and he shall reign forever. <laughs> that part, right? Wonderful, da 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 da. Okay, despite my butchering of that classic, um, the Christmas theme for us to consider today is that of joy. Joy, right? Uh, Marge got us started by singing Joy to the World. Right? That's actually a, a 
uh, written by Isaac Watts, who I think is uh, one of the best hymn writers from old. And it's actually, it tracks the passage here, uh, Isaiah 9, pretty well. But why is Christmas joyous? Uh, in fact, uh, I would say uh, super joyous, right? Why did the angels pronounce to the shepherds in Luke 2 that they bring good news of great joy? Good news of great joy. The context of Isaiah 9 uh, provides, I think, a broad spectrum of circumstances for us to think about uh, this concept of joy. So I titled uh, the message, uh, Joy to the World Over, right? Uh, and I, I put over in parentheses because um, I'm going to try to use the word in different ways. Uh, for example, uh, when we say something exists the world over, right, it means that, oh, sorry, I made a change. I knocked off the end ever. Uh, sorry about that. But uh, joy to the world over. So when we say something the world over, it means that it happens or it exists in every part of the world. And that's what I think about Christmas joy, right? It's joy to the entire world or joy the world over. So in every part, every aspect, every time of the world, uh, there can be joy. So I want to talk about areas or aspects of joy that this Old Testament passage highlights for us. I want to cover four, right, from our, our text. So joy over gloom, right? Joy over gloom, right? And Isaiah talks about that in verses 1 and 2. And then joy over, you know, I'm using it differently, because of victory, right? Victory and uh, there's a harvest uh, metaphor, there's a military metaphor in verses 3 to 5. And then joy over or joy because of a child, right? The special child, the Messiah. And then kind of a joy over and over and over, right? That was the ever part that I changed last minute. Yeah. Okay. So first, uh, joy over gloom. Um, so this is a, a, over means something is more substantial, something is superior, something is greater, right? So. Even though the sense of gloom, um, the times of uh, Isaiah's uh, prophetic tenure, the nation of Israel, uh, they had been enshrouded uh, in political gloom, right? But uh, the joy that comes from the birth of this child would displace that political gloom. Uh, interestingly, I reviewed some message notes on this same passage that I gave all the way back in 2008, eons ago, when uh, Barack Obama was first elected president. At the time, uh, it was felt that he would be entering into a nightmare situation for any incoming president and transition team to step into. There were huge economic problems, two active wars going on, um, political scandal. So, my notes uh, read as follows. President-elect Barack Obama, relatively young and experienced, is facing a rapidly growing list of monumental challenges as he prepares to take the reins of a nation in turmoil. I do not underestimate the enormity of the task that lies ahead, Obama said after his historic election a little more than a month ago. Okay, so 
this is a quote, and I didn't write all that stuff about it. Not only a quote of him directly, but a, an, an article about what he was facing. So that <laughs> seems like such a long time ago, but uh, a sense of deja vu, no? Um, every presidency, I think, needs a Beatles, Here Comes the Sun, inauguration night cover sung by Bon Jovi. Um, many might even argue that the national nightmare has turned into a full-blown horror flick. Uh, well, this might not be as new and unprecedented as we might think. Even the Israelites, 7th century BC, were undergoing similar national woes during uh, Isaiah's prophetic ministry. Gloom, distress, oppression, uh, likely of an economic nature. In fact, the Israelites, I think, through most of their national existence, endured oppression and defeat at the hands of their enemies, right? partly because of God's discipline of them. And at the time of Isaiah's prophesying, the Assyrian, the Assyrian Empire was conquering lands left and right. They were known to be particularly brutal and imperialistic. They would dismantle the nations they conquered by taking away captive many of the defeated nation's citizenry and then repatriating uh, the defeated land with people of other nations that Assyria had conquered. So thereby they would gut the cultural history and also eviscerate any like rebellious element that might try to mobilize. And this of course occurred in 732 BC when Assyria overran the northern kingdom of Israel. Now the two uh, northernmost uh, tribal areas, Zebulun and Naphtali, they bore the brunt of the uh, Assyrian assault. And they became so much of a melting pot, so much of a cultural mix that they were known as Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee was an Israelite region, but so many Gentiles lived there that they called it Galilee of the Gentiles, probably because of the repatriation scheme. And it is to these particularly benighted lands and distressed people that Isaiah pronounces a word of future joy in verse 1. Those that had been humbled would finally be honored. Indeed, the people walking in darkness will see a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light will dawn. Right? To those people who were in that literal gloom, right? It's not only a kind of a political and cultural kind of malaise, but Topographically, that region was in the shadows of a mountain. So literally, they were in darkness. And it was to represent that when Jesus came, right, he would start his ministry. The light would shine there. And that's exactly the location where God or Jesus inaugurates his ministry and he calls his first disciples, right? Andrew and Peter, James and John. They were Galileans. So this gloom, or the clearing of the gloom, right, this pervasive gloom, it symbolized a new day, a new era, a new moment in history when Jesus the light brought his light to that place and to those inhabitants. I, I really like that word gloom, right, because I'm kind of gloomy. 
person, I think, in general. But I think it describes our moral situation and uh, kind of as Andrew prayed and as we've all been talking about, maybe the mood of our world, the mood of Americans uh, these days. I think it's a fitting term to describe our current world situation, COVID pandemic, political polarization, economic uh, woes. It's all given us a pretty gloomy outlook on life uh, in the first few years of this um, second decade uh, of the uh, 21st century. It's a third decade, right? Yeah, we're the third decade. No, uh, yeah, okay. Third decade of the 21st century. Maybe not doom yet, but certainly uh, gloom. I think hope is still there. Hope can still be um, grasped or, or located, but it's kind of hazy, right? maintaining the kind of the, the climate um, theme, hazy hope. Uh, especially in the past couple of years, I think uh, as we've had to deal with COVID, as Tony mentioned, some of our worst instincts, I think, have surfaced. Um, it's become apparent, like intolerance. It's just so palpable, like people aren't putting up with each other. Like minor inconveniences or you know things that they deem unfair uh, to them. People will act, people have such a short fuse. I'm really disturbed by violence on airplanes. Right? I just don't understand that. I mean, I understand it, right? But um, the fact that it's happening, you know, almost regularly, that's, uh, that's such a um, kind of uh, distressing signal I think of the gloom that we are, are going through. So I don't know about you, but Christmas uh, is really a helpful time to me. I know it's over-commercialized, it's uh, ritualized, but it always brings me at least some measure of joy, right? Even Christmas carols, yes, Christmas carols lighten my spirit. Right? So we started singing, you know, Joy to the World, O Holy Night, the classics. That was really uh, uplifting. But even the semi-religious or non-religious carols, I'm, I'm pretty good with it. <laughs> like, do you hear what I hear? Like, I could listen to that a thousand times, right? But all the pop celebrities can, can sing that, and I'm happy. Just, just replaying that again and again. So I'm going to share one that kind of I enjoy a lot, and it has no Christian connection, but I'm going to, it all helps me through my gloom, and it's the song, right? Um, we need a little Christmas, right? We need, so if you want to sing it, go ahead. I'm just going to read it, right? Haul out the holly, put up the tree before my spirit falls again, fill up the stocking. I may be rushing things, but deck the halls again now, for we need a little Christmas right this very minute, candles in the window, carols at the spinet, right? For I've grown a little leaner, not me, grown a little colder, grown a little sadder, grown a little older, and I need a little angel sitting on my shoulder. I need a little Christmas now, for we need a little music, need a little laughter, need a little singing ringing through the rafter, and we need a little snappy, happy ever after, we need a little Christmas now. Do you know this song? If you, nobody knows this song? Okay. Okay, thank you, Matt. Do you like the song? Thank you, Matt. Okay. I'm going to hear about your honeymoon later. Okay. <laughs> well, the world needs a little joy, 
right now. Or better, uh, they need a little Messiah, at least uh, physically little, uh, uh, to start out. Uh, there's much to be anxious about. And the former means and sources of joy no longer seem to provide as such. Hence the Christmas message of joy resulting from the light which shines in the darkness, right? The darkness of 2020, the darkness of 2021, for that matter, the darkness of 2022 or the seventh century when Isaiah wrote this, it shall not overcome the light, the illumination and warmth that it provides. So joy over gloom. All right, next, uh, joy over victory. I'm using um, it not as kind of a superiority term or like a spatial location, but joy um, because of, right? Joy as a result of victory, success, abundance, uh, a celebratory joy. That's part of the uh, joys, uh, part of the Messiah, the joy that the Messiah brings. So uh, Isaiah analogizes this type of joy uh, to the familiar imagery of the harvest and of military conquest. Uh, the harvest was a seasonal experience, a blessedness uh, that civilizations the world over uh, anticipated and commemorated. Right? We just had the joy of Thanksgiving. Uh, it's still fresh in our minds and perhaps our midriffs. Uh, these joyous occasions uh, culminated uh, many days and many months of backbreaking labor to plant, cultivate, and then finally to reap the crop. Uh, beholden to both nature's whims and patterns, the agrarian societies put much stock in bountiful harvests, right, when it could be had. It really was their lifeline and breadbasket, um, literally. So Isaiah likens the coming of the Messiah to that kind of long anticipated um, excitement where the fruit of patience, the fruit of trust, the fruit of humility comes to a head in the arrival of the one born king of the Jews. Right? So the the vic victory over the ground, if you will, right over the elements um, that excitement, that joy of harvesting and, and, and having food and being able perhaps to turn it into um, an economic blessing. But Isaiah goes further with the military analogy by not only talking about it was a victorious, victor victorious battle, but he gives it a sense of finality. You guys, you guys noticed that? It wasn't just one victory in an ongoing, grueling war. Isaiah uh, speaks of it as the concluding battle, the last battle, a final victory for uh, God's people. There's that interesting verse, verse 5, which talks about the warrior's boot and the bloodied clothing being uh, burnt up and basically obliterated, never uh, to be needed for uh, all time, right? If you're gonna fight the next week, you're not gonna throw away your armor, throw away you know, what you need to protect yourself. But the idea is that there's no more war, there's no more conflict. There, those are gonna be um, forever uh, unnecessary. No more need for such equipment and supplies. The coming child 
would do battle, primarily spiritual in nature, it turns out, but it'll be a triumph in a war to end all wars. Right? Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? A war to end all wars. Like, you know, we keep talking about conflict that came up in our prayers. But somehow, like a final conflict that, you know, deals with conflict forevermore. Um, and we're watching uh, one of the, uh, our, our CK NYU students um, perform uh, in a, the play, Shakespeare's play Macbeth yesterday. It was, it was awesome. But, you know, um, you, you watch, you know, something like that and you see how powerful men and women Right? They assume power and then they lose it. And then someone else steps in and they, <laughs> in turn, will be uh, deposed and so on and so forth. That, that's human history, conflict after war, after fight, after battle. Uh, to one day uh, be part of the experience where there will be no more battle no more conflicts, right? When, when, when the Bible talks about heaven as uh, a place where there will be no more weeping, every tear will be wiped away, I always tend to think of that in terms of conflict, right? That the reasons that we are at odds, the reason that we have conflict, somehow that that will be completely removed, completely burnt up. Um, I think that is a uh, an amazing future for us. Uh, you know, Jesus' death on the cross was that kind of final death, right? Because by dying, Jesus destroyed death, Paul tells us. Sin and death were ultimately defeated for every person who would put their faith in Christ. Uh, and I was thinking maybe that's uh, the kind of of joy that I'm I'm looking for or I'm yearning for, right? When we talk about joy, and I think Tony mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, um, it's so kind of temporary or it's so kind of brief. Right? And joy is you know involves or entails a lot of our like an emotional kind of surge, right? And and so that's kind of we understand uh, that aspect of it, but even to me, the reasons for joy, right, the, the, the causes or sources of joy, those don't endure, right? They, like success or achievement or good news, something good happening in your life, that, you know, rises to like an exciting moment, but then it starts to decline. It's hard to keep going upward you know, or flat, let alone um, continuing to uh, increase. I, I couldn't think of, I, I try to give it some thought, of anything that is permanently cheerful, right? Like, like a good job, right? I, I've, I've not found or heard of a, a job that, you know, gives you joy every single day of your work life. There are times, you know, maybe overall you're very pleased with it, but there's a lot of bad things that happen, right, in, in a professional context. Marriage, for all of its benefits and all of its blessings, it's not permanently cheerful and joyful, right? There are challenges associated 
uh, with it. But our victory in Christ is never to be taken away. You know, that's another use of the word over, joy to the world, right? The worldly joy, it's over. It'll come to an end eventually. But uh, divine joy um, created by the coming of the Messiah and what he will do, it will never be lost or forgotten, never fade or lessen. It's as eternal as God's power is. I can rejoice in it evermore. It never needs to be repeated because it never will kind of fade. It's true joy, right? in an ultimate uh, sense. So joy over victory. Uh, the third case uh, or cause for joy referenced in the text uh, relates to the Christmas narrative proper, right? Joy over meaning because of or due to the birth of a child, the coming of a child, the advent of the Messiah. The birth of a child, a special child, the special child, the child, right? Uh, now, children bringing joy is uber familiar uh, for many families. The arrival of a newborn is almost invariably met with uh, wonder and excitement, right? Like, uh, I try to joke around a lot and stuff, but I don't think I practice joy that much. But Mona says that when, you know, our, our kids were born, right, she really saw, like, joy. I must not have been very happy generally speaking, but uh, she saw a real joy uh, in my life, right? The miracle of birth, when you experience that uh, as a witness <laughs> uh, to it, but uh, to see um, something so wondrous, something so uh, beautiful, something kind of mysterious happen before, right? That there, uh, the birth of a child really is so innately uh, joyous, right, to the family right? and to the to the parents. Um, but here, I think there's so, uh, something more going on than like just the joy that's going to come to Mary and Joseph, right, and maybe the extended families. Um, there's kind of a, a larger or a wider uh, euphoria, right? Because I think that Jesus is not just Mary and Joseph's child, technically. Right? He is. But as the text says, unto us a child is given. Unto us, uh, uh, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Somehow, right, Jesus' birth um, is for not only a localized nuclear family, but it's for the entire uh, human race. Right? Just as a set of parents or siblings or relatives feel special pride and joy when a healthy baby comes into the fold. Um, Jesus was that special addition for each and every one of us. We had cause to rejoice, right? Because he's our Jesus, our Messiah, our uh, baby. His birth was not just one of thousands that day. It was not only a unique birth, but one that would benefit all of humankind. You, 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 me, me, all of us. And so that kind of, you know, excitement, that kind of relief, that kind of uh, blessedness, right, can be ours, right? A, a parent's joy, um, I think, is um, available to us, right? The child was for us because he was given 
on behalf of humankind. Not just Mary and Joseph's son, but uh, our child, all of us. And that, that can, I think, raise and, and kind of produce um, a special joy, especially as we think about it uh, during this uh, season. Not only uh, the, the actual birth, right, but um, what the child's arrival is meant to signify. Because he is going to be the fulfillment of a long-awaited uh, promise. Right? Because not only is his birth miraculous, but what, will, what he will do, what he will uh, enact, right? accomplish uh, in his life, that's pretty astounding as well. It says that the government will be uh, upon his shoulders, his tender, right, his slender shoulders, the entire government. And it's not just the, the, the Israelite government, it's the kingdom of God government, right? That's what is going to uh, be placed upon him and he's gonna be able to shoulder it. He's gonna be able to make it work. He's gonna be able to establish it. And he's gonna be able to uh, consummate it. Right. Again, you know, if, if you heard my messages on Christmas, I think the thing that really kind of blows me away is uh, the risk or faith, if you will, that God took in allowing the, his grand redemption plan to rest upon a baby, an infant, a human, frail, vulnerable, lowly infant born to a humble family. Right. So many things could have gone terribly wrong. And yet God risked all that by putting um, all of his plans in the body, in, in the person of the infant of Jesus. This is part and parcel, right, to the nativity story. I was just thinking this week about how that motif is actually a very, I think, uh, prevalent one, right? Especially in, like, like for example, in, in stories and, and movies, like the Superman, um, origin story. I feel like that is kind of, you know, like he was, wasn't Clark or whoever put into that little pod and sent away, you know, he was the last hope for the exploding planet. Princess Leia, here we go, Star Wars 4, entrusts the, uh, the schematics for the Death Star to the BP R2-D2, you know, this very uh, uh, sliver of hope for humanity. And and victory against all odds is achieved. Right? I think you'll see that again. We, we, we're, we're suckers for this kind of, you know, it's gonna not make it, but we're, we're hanging on a thread and then it turns out to be like salvation, right? Well, I think the Christmas story is the whoppingest hope of them all, right? that God would put himself into the hands of Joseph and Mary, right? in that kind of situation, in that kind of context. And, and children, we don't give them much stock. Right? Even G the disciples, right? They, they, they wanted to keep children away from Jesus. But he says, you know, don't bother them. Let them come to me, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, if you guys don't become like little children, you will never enter 
uh, the kingdom of heaven. When, 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 the, when the Messiah was born, he had no special place or rank. He did nothing to prove himself. He's just, you know, a baby. And yet the angels sang, the Magi came, Herod fretted, right? The shepherds worshiped and mankind has rejoiced for two millennia. For in the fragile baby is the mustard seed, as we talk about, of power, of glory, of majesty, right, of hope. Right? Even through a baby, God can remake the world. Right? He can consummate history. This baby brings joy because he is, king, he is the king of kings and the lord of lords, the perfect sinless human, the everlasting uh, deity. I think Isaiah captures some of the baby's illustrious personage uh, through the superlatives he uses. Let's look at verse 6b again, right? Wonderful counselor. Right? That's what this Messiah will become. A counselor who will inspire wonder from those who seek him. Uh, wondrous, unfailing in its depth and wisdom. The mighty God, God's true might will be uh, in him. Power so great that somehow it can uh, absorb all the evil which can be hurled against it until evil is no more. Everlasting father, right? Many kings claim to be a father to their people and even to <laughs> the captives and people that they conquered. But it was so temporal, right? And it was so self-tainted, right? It's just for their own honor that they called themselves a father. But Jesus's would be a forever fatherhood, not only in terms of longevity, but in terms of commitment. And then Prince of Peace, it's a climactic title, a peaceful king, a powerful king uh, who brings peace. One who comes in peace, one who establishes peace, not by squashing all defiance, but by means of transparent humility, which makes defiance pointless. Right? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Right? The joy, right? Joy comes from that. Joy comes from knowing that this baby is indeed all of these things. Lastly, and fittingly, uh, Joy over, right? I said joy, this point, last point is joy over and over. The child-generated joy is an experience that will never end. Verse, says, verse 7 says that his kingdom will be established and uh, uphold justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. It'll be a permanent justice and righteousness. I'm just thinking about that, right? Justice and joy. I think one of the reasons that there's so much gloom is that I think um, we're seeing a kind of a heightened injustice, a sense of, uh, maybe it's good that people are becoming a, a little bit more aware of injustice, but I think we are still um, kind of becoming more unjust, even in the process, right? So both things are going, we're, we're identifying it more, but we're expressing it more uh, as well. And I think that weighs down the overall, the joy meter, <laughs> the joy gauge 
of, of our world. Because when injustice prevails, I, I think our hearts, it has to be heavy, right? Because God made us with a conscience, right? When we see oppression or injustice run rampant, the, the indignation, indignation uh, the, the, even like our imperfect righteousness, it, it wells up and, and we cry out for justice. So there can be no joy, there can be no enjoyment in our lives. And how can we rejoice in our good fortune and circumstances when people who are just as deserving, right? Maybe even more deserving, better than we are, they continually end up with the short end of the stick, right? Even now, right? I mean, there was an article that I read this morning. I don't know why I read it at six in the morning, but it's something about the Peace Corps and assaults that are happening. Like, you know, the Peace Corps is a federal program and, and it's, it's like, was highly tied was it started by JFK, I think, something like that. Like, the fact that they aren't able to keep people that go out there that volunteer and, and sacrifice safe, that's just so crazy, right? And it just disturbed me all morning. So, for most of history and even now, right? We could say women, foreigners, communities of color, at least in America, many others, we've suffered, they've suffered, and the travails of unequal treatment, both under and outside of the law. Right? So I don't think joy can be established or, or experienced forever until justice is established. And again, the Messiah, he's the one that brings that about. Um, I was following the Ahmed Arbery uh, uh, murder conviction trials, right? Murder trials. And um, if you paid attention that when the guilty verdicts for murder were rendered upon all three uh, defendants, right? Who had hunted down and shot to death Mr. Arbery just running in their neighborhood. Apparently the father exclaimed, he made an exclamation in the middle of the, sen the, the reading of the verdict and so the judge had to ex have him go outside because he was just so uh, overjoyed, right, or, or thankful. Uh, later on the mother said, it's been a long fight, it's been a hard fight, but God is good. Early in, to tell you the truth, I never saw this day back in 2020. I never thought this day would come, but God is good. Right? That kind of uh, thankfulness, joy, uh, peace, right? Even right. Of course, it's just one situation in a panoply of uh, continuing problems. But I, what I'm trying to point out is that connection right, between uh, justice or the lack thereof and, and joy, right? And the lack thereof. That's why the coming of the Messiah brings renewed hope that things can be different. This is not just another regime, Macbeth, Macduff, Maghuever, right? It's the Messiah. Um, he gave up everything so that we could have everything, especially joy, joy without end. And so uh, Isaiah's hymn of praise ends with a crescendo of assurance. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It won't be in human hands, right? It won't be on the whims of, of history. It won't be um, like 
the universe. Uh, the universe is so res respected and admired and beloved today, right? People like give credit to the universe. The universe told me, the universe is saying to me, I love the universe. <laughs> God's not gonna leave it up, right? To the elements. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, right? And, and if we understand that, if we believe that, right? If we depend on that, that, that joy, joy the world over, joy to the world over uh, can be ours, I believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, <clears throat> I'd be the first to admit that joy is elusive, that um, too many things uh, are dragged down and, and weigh uh, me down, others down. And uh, joy, when it makes its appearance, it's fleeting, it's brief, um, it's unsustainable. But uh, Christmas, I think, teaches us, Isaiah 9 instructs us that uh, joy, um, unspeakable joy, uh, permanent, eternal joy, um, was initiated and uh, can be ours uh, by the and through the Messiah. Thank you for giving us uh, joy unto us. Uh, child is born unto us, uh, a son is given. Thank you for making him our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father and our prince peace help us to rejoice in that today and uh, over and over in Jesus name amen